0: All signs point to the Seahawks having Geno Smith under center in 2024, but what if they decide to throw a curveball the next few days and go to plan B at quarterback? We're going to be diving into some alternatives under center on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined as always by my co host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Puyallup, Washington or Porto, Portugal. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're going to continue breaking down Seattle's tough decision at the quarterback position today. What might things look like if the Seahawks decide to go with plan B or even plan C under center going into the 2024 season? Plus, we're going to have our final report card at cornerback, and we're going to kick off free agent frenzy with the biggest name on Seattle's free agent list, both In size and in importance, potentially, for next season in Leonard Williams. It's going to be a jam-packed episode brought your way by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash on to get started. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition. Of locked on Seahawks. As we dove into on yesterday's show, Rob, you and I are both strongly under the impression that the Seattle Seahawks will have Geno Smith on the roster next season. Whether they restructure him, they stick with his current contract, or they do an extension. One of those methods we expect Geno Smith is going to be on the roster, but this is the NFL. Things can change on a whim, and you've got a new head coach, you've got a new coaching staff. The Seahawks truly are turning a new leaf, so it is possible, maybe not likely, but possible the Seahawks could decide to go to plan B or even plan C at the quarterback position with Geno Smith set to have a $12-plus base salary become guaranteed on Friday. If that happens, Rob, and they decide to move on from Geno Smith after two seasons as a starter Certainly, it opens up a world of possibilities for who could potentially be taking his place under center. I would think under those circumstances that one of the things that would have to be prerequisite is that Drew Locke would have to be coming back as your starter, at least short term.
1: Yeah, I think that makes an awful lot of sense, Corbin. Um, you know, if the Seahawks were to go the route of the NFL draft, then I think that there are a number of very talented quarterbacks in this year's draft class. But those of you who are watching on YouTube, you can see that the the quarterbacks who are available in free agency, there's some big names out there. you got guys like, uh, you know, former number one overall selection and Baker Mayfield, who, of course, led the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the play this past season. Maybe he's going to get re-signed in Tampa Bay. you got Kirk Cousins, the Minnesota Vikings, and obviously he is the biggest name out there for lots of different reasons, but he's also an aging quarterback. you got Gardner Minshew, who of course has an awful lot of fans here in the Pacific Northwest, but some believe that he is just a borderline starter, And, and I would agree with how you have this ranked. Drew Lockett, number four, right ahead of some other veterans. Tyler Huntley, Jameis Winston, Ryan Tannehill, Jacoby Tyrod Taylor and Joshua Dobbs of that group. I do think the most likely candidate to uh, to be for the Seahawks, if it's not Geno Smith, would be Drew Locke, and that's one of the reasons why I do think that this is a this is a conversation that we have to have at this point. You just. Pointed out some of the reasons. Obviously, you have a, a brand new coaching staff here. They don't have any allegiance to Geno Smith. And I thought that it was fascinating, but in two different interviews now, I've heard Mike McDonald, both in his uh, you know, his introductory press conference and then in an interview with Brock and Salk on 710 ESPN, where in both times he mentioned. Drew Locke's name before he mentioned Gino Smith's name. And again, Drew Locke is currently a free agent. Geno Smith is on the roster at, at this point, signed. He actually has uh, uh you know his his uh, he's his contract becomes guaranteed if he's still on the roster come Friday of this week. So the Seahawks have this massive decision. And I just think it's fascinating that the head coach twice now has mentioned the backup who is not currently under contract rather than the, the presumptive starter two-time pro bowler that is. So I do think that this is something that we have to kind of um, unpack at least a little bit. And, you know, Corbin, you know me, I, I'm always going to be focusing on the future in the NFL draft. So if the Seahawks were to go in a different direction, if they decide they wanted to cut loose of Geno Smith um, and they want to invest the in number 16 overall selection in a quarterback, then really I think that there's four candidates. Caleb Williams from USC is going to be long gone. Drake may from North Carolina. I also expect to be long gone part, quite possibly the Heisman trophy winner, Jaden Daniels from LSU. Again, I think it's going to be long gone and and possibly. And again, kudos to you, sir, for uh, those of you watching on YouTube. They're showing – you're showing J.J. McCarthy in a picture there. I think that J.J. McCarthy actually would make an awful lot of sense for what that Ryan Grubb is offensive coordinator and certainly what Mike Mike McDonald – seems to be prioritizing when he talks about what he is looking for at the quarterback and it's a lot of the intangibles that j.j mccarthy's national champion um over his two and a half seasons as the michigan wolverine starting quarterback i also would mention if, if the the Seahawks decide to not go with a quarterback at number 16 overall they still even though they don't have a second round pick and I think that that means they likely likely would not be able to go with a guy like a Michael Penix or a Bo Nix I think they'll likely be, likely be off the board by the time Seattle's uh back up to draft somewhere in the third round middle way point of the third round but guys like a Spencer Rattler from South Carolina a Michael Pratt from Tulane to me those are the guys that make the most sense in those middle rounds and then if you want to get real late. Then may be a Sam Hartman from Notre Dame, a John Reese Plumley from Central Florida is one of my favorite, uh, late round quarterback candidates. He was not among the quarterbacks who was invited to the combine, which I love because that means he is truly a sleeper in some people's eyes. The the Seahawks have some different quarterback options. It does feel like the safer, smarter play is just bringing back number seven. But at the same time, again, the fact that the head coach here has, you know, kind of missed his words a little bit at at that spot, I I do think this is something that we should be exploring at least a little bit.
0: Yeah, and I don't know that I'm going to put too much stock into what he said because he has mentioned Geno Smith in all of his interviews, too. And he said on Monday morning on Seattle Sports that those are the two guys he's talked to. So, as we talked about it yesterday, it sounded to me like he wants to go status quo at the position. That doesn't mean they're not going to draft a quarterback, but it sounds like Mike McDonald really would like to have Geno Smith and Drew Locke both back. And That, of course, means that Drew Locke is not going elsewhere. This year, I think he's got a little better chance to get some interest from other teams since he did win a game on Monday Night Football replacing Geno Smith this year. But regardless of what Seattle chooses to do on that front, I would think that if you are moving on from Geno Smith, it is imperative that you've got to have somebody that has started a number of games that's going to be able to take that that throne, so to speak, at least short-term until the rookie is ready to go. Because as you mentioned... Seattle's not going to be in a position. They don't have the draft picks to trade up to be able to get one of these quarterbacks that might be ready to play in week one. They're not going to be drafting Caleb Williams or Drake may, and probably not Jaden Daniels. I think all three of those guys are going to be gone really early in this draft. And even in the case of Daniels, even though he's played a lot of games that might still be a quarterback that needs a little time watching a veteran before he's ready to play in the NFL. So regardless of what they choose to do here, whether it is Geno Smith still, or if it's Drew Locke, or if they go outside the box and maybe Tyler Huntley, who was on the Ravens roster and Mike McDonald knows him well, first chance for him to be a starter or Justin Fields. That's another name we haven't thrown out there. If the Chicago bears are drafting Caleb Williams, they're going to try to move Justin Fields and you might be able to get him for a fairly decent value because the bears aren't going to have much leverage moving him. So You're talking about an incredibly talented quarterback that just hasn't had a good situation to be able to flourish in Chicago. And there have been moments where you've seen the pure athletic talent and the arm strength that he has. So that is, of course, a name that we can mention there. If the Seahawks want to completely throw a curveball, Justin Fields is still a very young quarterback. So that could be a possibility as well. But regardless, if they're going to go with a quarterback in the draft, You've got to believe there's going to be an established veteran in there, even if it's not Geno Smith and you're trying to save some money. Drew Locke, to me, is the natural fit. If you really want to have some fun, maybe Gardner Minshew coming to town as a spot starter in Seattle could make some sense too. But there are a number of dominoes that could fall there. But the first big one, Geno Smith would have to be let go before Friday when his base salary becomes guaranteed. As far as you and I are concerned, that's probably not going to happen. But we've seen crazier things take place in the NFL up next. We're going to shift gears over to the defensive side of the football because of all the coaching hirings that have happened. We haven't had a chance to finish up our end of season report cards. We're going to look at Devin Witherspoon, Reek Wolin and the cornerback group coming up next year on our Tuesday edition of locked on Seahawks. What a football game we witnessed on Sunday night, but as usual, the commercials stole the show in my book. DoorDash went all out for game day and DoorDash stuff from all the ads to one lucky winner. Cars, snacks, even tax software. DoorDash is the all-in-one app for your everyday needs from restaurants and groceries to flowers and gifts. That's certainly a big deal with Valentine's Day coming up. So next time you're running low on dinner ideas, pet supplies, or just time. You can get so much more than you realize delivered. If you didn't have a chance to hit up the grocery store last weekend after the big game, DoorDash has you covered. Or maybe your bar cart has been mysteriously cleared out. Stock back up for the week ahead with delivery from DoorDash. Football season may be over, but we're in the thick of basketball games, the school year, and let's face it, winter. I can think of a million reasons to get DoorDash and order on the app. Make your day a little easier. Get dinner for tonight, groceries for the week, or a consolation prize for your sad friends down in San Francisco, all on DoorDash. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Morang. And a special thanks to these gentlemen of the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen. Five days a week. We're going to shift gears back towards last season. We haven't finished up our report card. Thanks, Mike McDonald and John Schneider, for not being able to wrap that up. But we are going to get back to the defensive side of the football. A cornerback position that going into the 2023 season had incredibly high expectations. You had one of the runner ups for rookie of the year, Enrique Woolen, coming back for year two, a top five pick in Devin Witherspoon, who was expected to make an immediate impact a fully healthy Trey Brown, Mike Jackson as your fourth string corner when he was a quality starter the year before. This group was loaded going into the season, and I think in some ways that this group had their moments where they lived up to the hype. There certainly were some big plays that were made, in particular from Devin Witherspoon, who was a finalist for Defensive Rookie of the Year. I still can't believe that he finished fourth, but I digress. Nonetheless, it was still a really good season for Spoon as the number five overall pick but this was a group that at times really vastly underachieved too particularly when it came to missed tackles so I think when you look at this season as a whole this was still a group that a lot of the time was a strength for the Seahawks but I don't think that they were the group that carried the defense the way that many including Pete Carroll thought that it would.
1: Yeah, and Pete Carroll, myself, uh, you know, I, I definitely thought that uh, that this was going to be a positional group that would um be able to kind of uh mask some of Seattle's deficiencies in terms especially the pass rush uh, I really thought that because this squad was going to be able to cover so well then they should be able to buy another split second for Seattle's pass rush to be able to get home and that of course was not the case and that's why Pete Carroll obviously at this point is is unemployed and I you know you mentioned the fact that uh you know Devin Witherspoon is number five overall selection all this Expectation. And, and to me, he just did nothing but exceed those expectations. For him to miss a couple of games, even in, in training camp, when there was this, you know, there, there was some concern. Is he going to be able to uh hit the ground running, so to speak? And that's exactly what he did to lead the team in passes defense with 16. Um, you know, to uh to to have the big hits, the the timely plays that he had just to basically by the end of the season, be Seattle's best player on the defensive side of the ball. What was truly remarkable ascent from the rookie that said, as optimistic as I am about what we saw from Devin Witherspoon, the exact opposite was the case with Reek Wollin. And and I really thought I I was among those who really thought that Reek Wollin should have been the defensive rookie of the year a season ago. But uh, I was just kind of staggered by how little improvement he showed as an open field tackler, how quickly the, uh, the, the lack of big plays this season showed that he basically was a very much a feast or famine type of of a cornerback, uh, he went from uh, you know being the, the I believe it's the NFL's co-leader in interceptions a season yep. ago. And he had two this past season. Um, you know, and in both of those cases, they, they weren't the type of unbelievable extension and and plucking the football outside of his frame type of, of interceptions that we saw him make a couple of different times uh, as a rookie. So to me, that was certainly was disappointing. You mentioned the fact that, that Mike Jackson was healthy and available for the Seahawks, solid football player, but definitely is somebody that has his limitations, especially against straight line speed, the exact kind an opposite case with, with Trey Brown. I mean, big play. Trey made some big plays, but he certainly gave up his number of big plays as well. So Corbin, to me, this was kind of the most confounding of Seattle's positional groups on the offensive or defensive side of the ball, in my opinion, because it was so loaded with talent. I would argue the team that just won the, the Super Bowl, the Kansas City Chiefs, the probably the best one-two punch corner in, in all of the NFL with Le'Jarius Sneed and, and Trent McDuffie. I really thought that Seattle might have that instead, They were one of the the teams that actually surrendered a great deal of yards, great deal of touchdowns this year, and is actually in the bottom 10 of the NFL in terms of interceptions.
0: I love that you mentioned the term feast or famine, and it gets thrown around a lot when we do NFL analysis, probably too much, but that really was the theme of this position group, more so for the players not named Devin Withers. But I mean, he missed some tackles. There were a few big plays that he allowed. He got beat on a flea flicker in his second or actually his third start against the Detroit Lions in That game. They got him, but he learned so quickly from the mistakes that he made. And a lot of the missed tackles came after he had been out. He had some late in the season when he missed a few games. This guy made so many big plays in the backfield though. He had eight tackles for a loss. He had three sacks, did a little bit of everything. So I think Devin Witherspoon was the exception of the rule here. He was the player that for the most part was consistent on this Seahawks defense. There wasn't much consistency at any of the three levels, but he was a guy that seemed to bring it every week, even when they let the Steelers run all over him. He had a couple tackles for a loss in that game, so he always seemed to bring maximum effort, which we didn't always see that from the rest of the Seahawks defense, but I think you look at the rest of the cornerback group. As you mentioned, Trey Brown, he really was the textbook definition of Feaster Famine. He had a pick six against the Lions, had another interception early in the season, but from week nine on Rob he had one pass breakup. That's it. And ultimately, he was the one that lost his starting job. Reek Woolen was on the bench for one game, and then he went back to the starting lineup, and they kept Mike Jackson in opposite of him. And two of the big reasons why. Brown missed a lot of tackles on his own accord. That was an issue for this entire group, and he had major issues with penalties. Now, there were a few when they played the Rams in L.A. that I thought were really questionable, but still way too much usage of the hands, and he was getting beaten and was trying to make up for that, reaching out and grabbing guys. I just felt like he had a really poor second half for the most part. It was a very inconsistent season for him, a tale of two seasons. And Mike Jackson, you look at the numbers, you know what, he doesn't give up a lot of catches, doesn't give up a lot of big plays, but he doesn't generate big plays either. And that might be the thing that stood out to me as a big negative this year. You've got four total interceptions. From your quarterback group, Devin Witherspoon had one. Now it was a pick six; it was a massive interception, but had no other picks the rest of the year. Brown had a pick six; he had one other interception. Reek Woolen actually had five picks. Reek Woolen had two, but Woolen also tied for second in the NFL according to PFF in dropped interceptions, so he missed a lot of opportunities. And Mike Jackson has one pick his entire NFL career. That has not been a strength in his game—the ability to generate turnovers. So for as much as Seattle has invested in this position, you just didn't get those impact plays, collecting the football for interceptions, forcing fumbles. You just didn't get enough of that this year from this group as a whole.
1: No, you really didn't, and that again is one of the things that was so uh, you know just frustrating about this particular group is that um, you know you have a bunch of players who have undeniable skill sets, and for that not to turn into the big plays given the the assets that you have given up to uh, you know to acquire these players in the first place, especially with Devin Witherspoon, obviously, um, you know it just was unexpected, and I think was one of the biggest reasons. Reasons why that uh, the, the P. Carroll is, is no longer in Seattle. For those of you who are watching on YouTube, you can see the letter graves that we have posted here: uh, a B for Devin Witherspoon, a C plus for Rick Woolen, a C plus for Mike Jackson, and a C for Trey Brown. I think that you can make an argument that that maybe we should have included Artie Burns here, a quality football player in himself, but I still think we're talking about a, a player who's in that C range. Um, you know, I, again. Uh, just a group that we were expecting to give out A's and instead it was the very definition of a C average group of cornerbacks and again that is I think just kind of epitomizes what the Seahawks were all about this past season when there was all these expectations and important instead there was a, a bit of a thud throughout the the secondary.
0: And you and I both know this with our teaching backgrounds. There are different ways that you can get to average. There are students that just truly are average. Everything they do, they're just good enough to get a C. They don't get Bs and As. This group was the other type. And that is the one where when they were good, they were elite. This was a group that you saw flashes where like this should be a top three group like we expect. And then... You would see dozens of missed tackles, dropped interceptions, penalties galore, where like that is beyond unsatisfactory. Is there anything worse than an F? So this was a group that fit that mold where there were flashes of brilliance. There were also long stretches where you were wondering they invested a top five pick and they've got a former rookie of the year finalist in this group and they're playing like this. It was just a group that was defined by inconsistency. And even with Trey Brown, as I said, he had some brilliant plays in the first half. And I thought, you know, if we were grading him out, I believe at midway point, we gave him a mid B because he was one of their better players on defense. I would have given him a D in the second half because there weren't impact plays. Missed tackles galore, penalties galore. So that was the issue with this team. There wasn't any of that. There were no stretches where you're like, you know what? This this quarterback group's just playing okay. Like it was either really, really good or it was dreadful. You didn't have that mid-level. And I think that is probably harder to take than if you were having a group that was consistently average, to be quite honest with you. But this is still a group that has a lot of talent as far as what's next. You're going to have Witherspoon. You're going to have Woolen, You're going to have Trey Brown back. Mike Jackson's a restricted free agent. It'll be telling if they bring him back with a tender, what they're thinking for that quarterback spot. But this should still be a group, and maybe Kobe Bryant's back in the mix too. This should still be a group that has really high expectations, and maybe Mike McDonald can get them playing to that level, and Leslie Frazier as well in 2024. Up next, we are going to kick off our free agent frenzy, and we are going to go to the trenches, a player that may just be the biggest free agent for the Seahawks, not just in stature, but in significance going into the new league year. We're going to look at Leonard Williams. Will he be back or is he destined to be a very expensive rental for the Seahawks? Don't go away. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel America's number one sports book because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets such as who will make the first basket of the night. Live game same parlays including LeBron James and Anthony Davis each scored 25 points for the Lakers against the Pistons. Exclusive props such as how King James will score his 40,000th point. That's a lot of points and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sports book partner of the NBA. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my coast and crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there tuning in on this Tuesday night. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And don't forget to check out Locked on's first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked on Sports Today is here for your 24-7 coverage with the top sports stories of the day from local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Back in October, Rob, the Seahawks made a move that typically is made by a team that believes that they are ready to contend, that their window to compete for a Super Bowl is open when they dealt a second and fifth round pick to the Giants for veteran defensive tackle Leonard Williams. And, Both of us loved the move when it happened, and this is really an interesting situation looking back in retrospect. Now that Williams is set to become a free agent on March 13th, normally if a trade like that doesn't work out and the team misses the playoffs or they lose early in the postseason, people are going to view that trade as a failure, and yet... You have to wonder just how much worse things could have been if they didn't have number 99 out there in the middle. And maybe that's the reason why I have started to change my tune a little bit on this, that this feels like this is a re-signing that absolutely must happen, not just because of what you gave up for him, but quite frankly, I think Leonard Williams was one of the two or three best players on Seattle's defense for the entire second half. It wasn't his fault that they missed the postseason.
1: No, I 100% agree with you. I think that uh, imagining what Seattle's defense would have looked like without Leonard Williams out there, I think that it would have been frightening. Uh, frankly, I mean, this is a squad that still finished second in all of the NFL and rushing touchdowns allowed, even with Leonard Williams on the field. And uh, again, I, I agree. I really think that uh, that Williams was among the best players on Seattle's defense. I think that he brought some leadership. I think he brought some pass rush. Um, he got his hands up in the air. While he didn't deflect as many passes as I would like to see from him from a player who has his experience this is a nine year veteran who has very long arms, and and so that was one of the areas in which I thought that he could have been better, but uh, his strength, his uh, willingness to to pursue all the way down the line and deep downfield, there was only one other interior defensive lineman who I saw with that type of consistency, and I've gushed about Jaron Reed now. It feels like ever since Seattle originally drafted him out of Alabama all those years ago, so I, I definitely agree that I think that the Seahawks should be strong. Strongly looking towards bringing Leonard Williams back. That said, you know th- this is a man that again he's played nine years in the NFL. He's going to be hitting that that magical age in the NFL of 30 years old, and I say magical just because kind of tongue in cheek. I mean, there's an awful lot of player, awful lot of teams out there that basically are looking to pull the plug once players get to that age. And so it will be interesting to see now that of course you have a brand new head coach in here who may not have that same, ah, screw it. Let's just go all in, push those chips into the table and go for it kind of mentality that I think Pete Carroll had a year ago. And of course, now it's going to be John Schneider, who is going to be making that decision along with Mike McDonald. And so I do think it's going to be a fascinating decision. Now, similar to the conversation that we had a couple of moments ago, quarterback position, there's an awful lot of talent at quarterback in this 2024 NFL draft. There is not as much talent at the defensive tackle position. So if you are, are going to lose leonard williams then you better have a plan about how you're going to replace him and of course the seahawks have a great deal of talent i mean we, we talked i just mentioned draymond or just mentioned jaron reed did not mention draymond jones i think that's one of the reasons why um uh, you know I, i'm really curious to see what mike mcdonald's plans are for draymond jones if he is in fact going to be on this roster that, that'd be one of the players that maybe seattle is looking to kind of trade off themselves the way that the new york giants did with leonard williams Again, there are so many different moving parts here. I think that this is a fascinating decision. I think it has to be the player that we focus in initially when it comes to true free agency for the Seahawks. I would love for Seattle to bring Leonard Williams back to me. He is the epitome of just consistency, reliability, and that's something the Seahawks def- defense lacked a year ago. But at the same time, considering that his last contract was a three-year deal for $63 million, we might be talking about a player who is expecting 17 18, 18 almost 20 million per season at age 30. I I think that we should be talking about a player who's more in that 15 to 16 million dollar range rather than looking for a pay increase like he could theoretically be expecting. I really think that this is
0: one of those pure cases where it just comes down to money. I think the Seahawks, every conversation that I've had in the last week and a half suggest that this is number one free agent for the Seahawks to bring back. And it isn't just because you gave up so much for him. Again, you looked at the numbers for those watching on YouTube. Again, this was just in 10 games with the Seahawks. He had four sacks, 11 quarterback hits, and nine tackles for a loss. There were a lot of players on Seattle's roster that played in 15, 16, 17 games that didn't come close to producing those numbers. He finished fourth on the team in quarterback pressures with just 10 games. And that tells you maybe the rest of the roster didn't live up to the to the hype there. They didn't play as well as expected. But also, it really tells you how well that he played. And I think the run defense, he had his moments where he struggled like everybody else did. But there were also a lot of plays in the backfield that he made. So I can only imagine how bad this run defense would have been without him out there. And 30 years old for a defensive tackle, we've seen the Seahawks over the years have a lot of success with older defensive tackles. This is a position where guys can last a lot longer in the league. This guy's great in the locker room. Teammates love him, coaches love him, he's highly competitive in his own way. So I just think Mike McDonald, this is a player that he is going to want to have there. And you mentioned the price point. That really is what everything boils down to here. If he's looking to match that contract that he just finished at his age with the number of years he has, if I'm the Seahawks, I'm saying, wait a second, I'm not giving you 18 or 19 million dollars a year. Now, if he's willing to do a 15 or 16 at the most per year. Yes, let's have that discussion because I think he is worth that, but I'm not paying him top five defensive tackle money either at this stage of his career. He just had that biggest contract he's going to have. And with that age, Rob, if he hits free agency, I could see this being a player who doesn't draw the interest money-wise that he expects because there's going to be players maybe like Justin Matabuke from the Ravens out there. I don't know if the Ravens are going to let him hit the market, but if he does, there are going to be younger options that teams are going to be more willing to break the bank for. I just can't see a team racing to pay 18 plus million per year for a soon to be 30 year old defensive tackle as good as Leonard Williams is. I just can't see it. So that could work in Seattle's favor. If they could get a three year 45 to 47 million dollar contract, uh, I'm saying, where's the contract at? Sign it right now, Leonard Williams, because I think he's worth that money.
1: Oh, I, I think he's worth that money too. Uh, I just think it's going to be fascinating to see what the, the free agent market creates because uh, you know that's the thing is so we're, we're coming down to just how much money per season and the age. And again, as I mentioned, there, there are not a lot of really quality defensive tackle candidates in this class for the number sixteen overall pick. And well, we talked about it in yesterday's show, Corbin. One of the very few is Jazon Newton from Illinois, but there are a lot of big names big bodies that are available in free agency what's fascinating is that some of these players like chris jones another uh super bowl champion um you know he's 30 himself or will be 30 this upcoming season along with leonard williams dj reader from cincinnati a player that you and i are both very very high on also going to be turning 30 this next season um fletcher cox is 33 uh sheldon rankins is going to be 30 himself so a lot of the other defensive tackles out there are also going to be at that age 30, uh, you know, kind of threshold here. And to your point, I mean, Leonard Williams, of course, it, you know, played very, very well for the Seahawks this past season. Chris Jones was arguably most dominant player on the field other than the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, again, I don't think the 30 means that you can't Play anymore. It's just going to be a fascinating decision of how much uh, more, how many more assets the Seahawks want to throw at this position, considering how many uh, millions of dollars they already have locked up in, in a Draymond Jones. If they're going to decide to do something different there, the fact that they got Mike Morris returning, um, that they have uh, the investment in Cameron Young a year ago, uh, none of these players frankly, are as good as Leonard Williams, but again, because of the youth, because this is a team that perhaps is going to be looking for a little bit of a reboot, given the new coaching staff, I do think that this is a going to be a fascinating decision, one that is going to be every bit as interesting from uh, X's and O's and from the line of scrimmage standpoint as the, the looming decision the Seahawks have with Geno Smith on Friday.
0: As always, you can follow me on X and Threads at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rank. Subscribe and follow Locked On Seahawks on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Could the Seahawks have a new quarterback coach coming in and which coaches have officially been hired to the staff? We're going to be diving into that on our Wednesday episode tomorrow. Make sure that you are listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.